we're going to spend some time in God's Word, and I want to uh, share with you that the passage I'm about to read to you, I'm going to leave to the end of the message. We'll look at it at the end. So keep your hand open uh, in that passage, and we'll get there uh, in my third point. It'll be an important place for us to kind of finish up and culminate as to why Easter means hope. But let me read our passage before us. Uh, It's from the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, to the church at Corinth, and, and this is what he says. In verse 3, For I deliver to you that of first importance of what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve disciples. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, many whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, that is, they've died. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me as one untimely born. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Let me ask God's blessing on our time. Father God, we come before you and Lord, I thank you for what you have done in this church already. I thank you for the hundreds who have come to hear of the celebration of Easter and what it means for us as people. Lord, thank you for giving us hope, for giving us a reason to look forward to the future. Thank you for what uh, you've done in raising your son from the dead that we might have hope for tomorrow. I thank you for all that's transpired up to this point and give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray all things. Amen. This past fall, uh, the Pew Research Group did a very large survey or poll trying to get a pulse on the nation. They had sensed as a group that there was something happening in our country. It may have been because of the impending election that was about to take place, But they polled people, and one of their main questions that they asked thousands of people was the following. In essence, are you looking forward to tomorrow? And they had follow-up questions. Do you have hope about tomorrow? Are you more pessimistic about tomorrow than you were of your yesterday? And the overwhelming response blew them away. What they thought would be maybe a third of Americans would struggle with hope for tomorrow the vast majority of, hum- uh, of Americans who took the poll, 80% in fact, said that when they viewed the future, they were hopeless. 80%. 8 out of 10 people. When asked, do your kids have a greater future ahead of them than you did uh, when you were growing up, the response was 92% that the children of today are going to have it harder it's going to be more violent and more difficult than when the age and time that we grew up in as adults. The world, in fact, America had told in one voice that we in many ways are hopeless. Now the reasons that they cited according to the Pew Research was economic uncertainty, and we know that. Jobs are being shipped off, things are happening. We know that there's mounting debt, and the national debt was of great concern to those that filled out the survey. Global terrorism was an issue that people were deeply concerned about. And what seemingly, while it's happening in other parts of the world, it's getting closer and closer to our doorsteps. And it left people asking, what is tomorrow really going to bring? Is my tomorrow going to be any better than my yesterday? I wonder if the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ that first Easter might have been feeling some of that on Friday and Saturday of that Easter weekend. 
If you remember the story, Jesus had been working with them, walking and talking with them. He had been teaching his disciples for three years. Ever since around his 30th birthday, Jesus had gone public with his ministry. And he had taken on 12 disciples to follow him and to learn his ways. And that crowd would go from 12 into the thousands. And the reason why was Jesus was a teacher unlike any other. He had words that captured the hearts of his listeners. And Jesus would add to that by doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He healed lame men. He gave sight to the blind. He uh, exercised demons. He multiplied loaves and fishes. He turned water into the wine. And he even raised the dead. Jesus was becoming very well known in the area of Palestine around Jerusalem. And he was becoming what people thought was the answer to all of their dreams and all of their hopes. But everything changed that week of Easter. It started out well. Palm Sunday was a time where Jesus enters the city for the Passover and he is uh, introduced and, and welcomed by a parade. People begin to line the streets and they begin to wave palm branches at him, announcing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But that crowd would turn into a mob. And by Friday... Instead of announcing how great he is and how awesome he is, public opinion about Jesus had changed. And they would ask for a criminal to be let go so that Jesus could be put to death. Instead of saying, Hosanna, they would cry out, crucify. And then, of course, Jesus would be arrested. And Jesus would be flogged. He would be tortured. And then he would be taken to a place called Golgotha where he would be hung on a cross a violent way to die where you'd be hung by your hands and your feet and you would suffocate on the cross. I wonder what the disciples must have been feeling. This guy that brought so much hope. This guy that seemingly was fulfilling every dream. This guy that seemed to have all the answers. Who said he was the Son of God. Now has been buried in a tomb. And with it all of their hopes. And with it all of their dreams. And with it, all of the expectation, anticipation that because of Jesus, things would be different. I want you to know this morning that there are many in our world, and even in this place today, who find themselves wondering, is there hope for tomorrow? I want to tell you this morning, by using three very quick points, that hope is made available through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know a couple things about hope. First of all, I want you to know that hope is critical to our lives. Write that down in those outline inserts. Our hope, we need it. It's critical. You know, we cannot live life without hope. It's been said that uh, man can live about 40 days without food. About three days without water. About eight minutes without air. But only for one second without hope. We need hope. We need hope each and every day. It is critical. Now, I don't mean a wishy-washy kind of hope that, gee whiz, I hope the Cubs win their baseball game tonight. I have no idea if they're going to, but I really, really hope. It isn't a wishy-washy thought based on positive vibes. The hope that the Bible talks about is a living hope. Uh, the hope that the Bible talks about is a secure hope. It's a founded hope. It's an established hope. It's something we can put all of our faith and trust in. And we need that kind of hope because we live lives that at times, quite frankly, can feel hopeless. 
Let me give you three reasons why hope is important. First of all, hope allows or gives us the ability to dream. Hope gives us the ability to dream. I want you to know this morning that April 16th is a special day. It's a special day for our family. But I want you to recognize, even before I tell you why it's a special day, that the Bible says over and over again that we need hope because it allows us to look forward to the future. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous brings us joy. When we have hope for tomorrow, it brings us a sense of anticipation, a sense of joy that we can look forward to something. In Proverbs 13.12, it says, Hope that is delayed or deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true at last, there is life and there is joy. And so hope gives us the ability to look to our future and anticipate all kinds of great things transpiring. April 16th is an important day for our family. And one of the reasons why is nine years ago, we welcomed the third, and I believe, unless Amanda surprises me with something, final member of our family, Luke. Today's Luke's ninth birthday. He came in today and all excited, of course, when you're nine, the world revolves around you on your birthday. Quite frankly, it revolves around you every single day, right? And he came in, bounding into our bed, and he said, hey, Dad, it's my birthday. And I said, hey, son, you didn't get the memo. Listen, you cannot share your birthday on Easter with Jesus. It just, it's in the cards. You can't do it. So we're going to have to postpone your birthday. And he said, come on, Dad, that's not fair. And I said, okay, that's fine. We'll celebrate your birthday today. And he asked, he said, Dad, what did you get me? I said, son, I've been busy. This is Easter week. Pastors are busy these times of the day. And I just, I didn't get you anything. He said, dad, that's okay. That's all right. Just do what you always do. Sign your name on mom's card and say the gift that she gave me came from you too. (laughs) Do what you always do? Unbelievable. But you know what, as I was watching this kid, and I'm beginning to believe that those days of bounding into my bed are going faster than I want them to, I began to think as as that time came and that day came of holding little Luke, one one day old, and dreaming in the hospital room as I held him as a newborn. What's this kid going to be like? What's his personality going to be? What accomplishments is he going to have? What is going to be his occupation? Who is he going to marry? What are his kids going to be like? What is this guy going to do? What what kind of impact is he going to have on the world? And, And we do that as parents. We dream and we hope for our kids. And some of those things come true and still others don't. But anytime we look to the future, hope is what allows us to look to the future, whether it's in a business endeavor, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's um, regards to a new job or a, a new move. Hope allows us to look and dream of the good things that are going to come. Without hope, we would never dream. Hope is the mechanism that allows dreams, in essence, to come true. But as I said... Uh, April 16th is a day of great significance. And sadly, it's not always good. In fact, uh, um, hope doesn't just give us the ability to dream, but it encourages us in our despair. You see, for the Badal family, April 16th is an important day 
because two years ago in March, uh, my wife was diagnosed with a rare form of breast cancer. And I remember that day, March of two years ago, going to what seemingly I thought was a routine uh, medical doctor's visit. I remember, and I can look at my calendar, that I had appointments that day that I had carved out really about a half an hour for the doctor's visit. And I was going to come back to a staff meeting here, and my day was filled with activities. I thought whatever it was, it would be taken care of and we would move on. That doctor's visit would take two hours. And that doctor's visit would say, you, you have cancer, Amanda. We're going to have to do surgery as soon as possible. We have no idea how far the cancer has spread. It's a rare form. It's an aggressive form of cancer, and uh, we need to address it. And two years ago, today, April 16th, Amanda would endure nine hours of surgery. And praise be to God that, that, that surgery has taken care of her cancer. And according to all the tests that have been taking place since, that she's cancer-free. And we're thanking God for that. But I remember sitting for those nine hours in the hospital waiting room filled with anxiety, filled with concern. And quite frankly, I know pastors aren't supposed to be this way, filled with despair. What was I going to say at some point about four hours into it? The doctor said, we're going to be able to come out and tell you if the cancer's contained. And I'm sitting there and every looking at the clock and, and every time a doctor would come out thinking this could be the absolute worst news or it could be the best news. And then I was going to have to wait because they would do pathology to tell us if the cancer had uh, any more form of, of aggression in it and whether it would be found in other places. And I remember sitting there, even though family and friends were around, I didn't want to talk to anybody because my heart was filled with all kinds of questions. What am I going to tell my kids if it's terminal? What am I going to tell my wife who's just endured a horrifically long procedure, who is exhausted? How am I going to tell her that it's terminal? Well, praise God, the doctor came out and said the cancer was contained, the surgery was going to take care of it, and that she was going to hopefully be able to live a long life, and we believe that with all our hearts. But hope was what allowed me to say no to that despair. That's why Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I, I remember my dad coming over, and, and he could sense his son was in turmoil. And he put his arm around me, and he said, Listen, son, I know you're worried. I know you're anxious, and you have every right and every reason too. But he said, Listen, we've got a great God. We've got a God who conquered the grave. We've got a God who gives us hope. So trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. And whether the good, the bad, or ugly takes place, God knows the beginning from the end, and He'll walk you through every step of the way. And He has. You see, hope gives us a bright light that looks beyond the storm clouds of the present to look to the sunshine of the future. Hope helps us dream and encourages us in our despair. Finally, hope allows us to believe things can be different. It allows us to think things are different. Proverbs 28, 23:18 says, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. What the writer is saying there is that as long as we have breath, as long as we have life, there's an opportunity for our lives to be changed for the better. The final significance of April 16th is that today is Easter Sunday. And a weekend that started on Good uh, Friday that seems so bad and so desperate 
And such a dead-end experience. Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying, being buried in a tomb. All hope was lost for the disciples. But Easter Sunday reminds us, because He rose from the grave, that life can be different. That we don't have to feel like we are without hope. In London, there's an art gallery that holds a painting. They're going to put it on the screen for you. And it is showing a, a, a game of chess between the devil and a young man. The angel symbolizes that this match is for the young man's soul. Well, one day, a chess master came into that London art gallery, and he looked at the, uh, at the uh, portrait, and he caught his attention because, of course, the game of chess that was taking place. And he saw some things. He saw the devil. And the devil is here, and if you notice, there are far more of the young man's pieces off the board. The devil's winning. And if you could see even closer, the devil has a smile uh, on his face. He's about to win. He knows that in a couple moves, the man is going to be checkmated. On the other side of the board is the young man. And the young man is showing, and again, it's hard to see because it's an old painting and it's a tough photograph to get. The young man is filled with dread. He's got tears coming down his cheek. His head is up against his head, trying to figure out, how do I get out of this mess? I'm going to give my soul to the devil in this gamble of a lifetime. I'm about to lose. Well, the chess master went back to this picture, and he just focused in on it. And he looked at the pieces, and he looked at where they were on on the board, and he was mesmerized by it. He knew that this young man was in trouble. And he looked at it from all angles and all vantage points. And right before that the art gallery was about to close, a big yell was heard throughout the entire and enormous art gallery. The chess master said, Hey, young man, I, I know you can hear me. You haven't lost. There's still moves on the board. You see, your knight and your bishop, they still have two moves. And if you move this way, and if you move that way, it is not you who are checkmated, but it is the devil. You see, for some of us, life, and maybe the devil himself, or maybe circumstances have told you that you're without hope. Maybe it's told you that you've been checkmated by life and the circumstances of life already. Easter announces once and for all that it is not you who have lost the fight, but the devil. It is not you who have lost the fight, but sin. Later on in the passage that we just read, Paul will say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Victory has swallowed up death and the grave. Jesus conquered it by rising from the grave. Hope gives us the opportunity to know that life can be different. Now, here's the problem. Hope is critical to our lives. We need hope for the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Now, the question is, why are so many people without hope? Here's the reason. Hope is a choice that we each need to make. We need to choose whether or not we're going to have hope. We need to choose where we're going to place our hope. And then we've got to make a choice on whether we're going to rely each and every day on that hope. I want you to notice that on the weekend of Easter, that first Easter, people were making choices about where to place their hope. Now, Jesus had given them every assurance that he was going to rise from the grave. Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus told his disciples and his followers, a large number of people, he said the following. He told us, 
that there was much to be hopeful for. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised. Jesus announced that numerous times while here on earth. He said, listen, I want you to grab a checklist and a clipboard, and I want you to remember this because you're going to lose hope at some point. Jesus is going to be rejected. Check. Jesus is going to be condemned by the chief priest and by the rabbis and the scribes. Check. Jesus is going to be handed over and crucified. Check. But then it stopped. Because when all that transpired, seemingly, Jesus had already told them that victory was for sure. Not too long ago, my family watched, we're Cub fans, and we rejoice in the Cubs' World Series victory. And we watched Game 7 from last November. And i got to be honest with you, when I watched it the last couple weeks, okay, I wasn't worried when that heathen Davis hit that eighth inning home run. There was no fear. There was no dread. There was no concern. I remember how I felt the day it happened. I wanted to throw up. I'm like, not again. Who's the fool? I'm the fool for liking this team. I remember feeling all kinds of anxiety. What's going to happen? Are they going to come around? Will they find victory? But when I sat from a place where I already knew the end from the beginning, I rested secure. I want you to know that Jesus gave the disciples hope. He said, yes, I'm going to suffer. Yes, I'm going to be arrested. Yes, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and leaders of the day. Yes, they're going to beat me. Yes, I'm going to be hung on a cross. And yes, three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. But they didn't believe Him. And the reason why is you and I, just like they choose other things instead of Christ to place our hope upon. Let me explain three of them very quickly. The crowd on Palm Sunday chose political hope instead of spiritual hope. Remember, again, as I said earlier in the message, the crowd had assembled because Jesus had been, uh, been, been given a great reputation of all the things that He had done. People were pinning their hopes that this Jesus was going to change their lives. The problem was... They had the idea of what hopes were going to be accomplished through the person and work of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, the nation of Israel said, this Jesus is going to take care of our political issues. Remember, during the time of Jesus, Israel was under uh, the rule of the Romans. And the Romans watched everything that the Jewish people did. In many ways, they were captives in their own land under the oversight of the Roman Empire. And time upon time, Jewish men had risen up and had led rebellions, fighting and seeking their freedom from the Romans. And the people of Palm Sunday said, Jesus is the next guy. Jesus, if you will, is the, is the one who's finally going to uh, keep us or take us from the claws or the, the grasp of the Roman Empire once and for all. Because of Jesus, we'll be independent. Because of Jesus, we'll become a great nation. And so when Jesus gets arrested, and Jesus gets flogged, the hopes and dreams of a national movement, the hopes and dreams of a national liberty, go to the grave with Him. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that though 2,000 years spans from Jesus' day and ours, 
how true is it that we as people still hope upon hope that a political leader will rise? You know, we just finished up one of the most combative election cycles we've had in, in American history. And I remember hearing the pundits on both sides saying, if so-and-so comes in, hope and change will be found. If so-and-so gets elected, they'll make America great again. And we hear these slogans and we hear these speeches that if we elect this man, if we elect this woman, if we elect this person, then things will be different. We will have reason to hope for tomorrow. And I remember the night of the election. And we all remember... The plan was is that one was going to win over the other. And then about 10 o'clock or 10.30, uh, the results and the exit polling all came in and the returns came in and things started to shift. And I remember watching the losing party at their uh, campaign headquarters when word had gotten out that they had lost. And I remember, and I can still see the woman that was carrying this big banner or sign, and she had scratched out the name of her candidate, and in it she had written down this message with tears in her eyes, no doubt heartbroken as to the results, and the sign said, all hope is lost. You see, for many of us, we think if we elect the right person, if we get the right majority in office, then hope can be found. But I want you to know this morning that no matter who we elect, no matter who resides in the Oval Office or who resides in the Capitol, it will only, whatever good is done, will only last for a short season. Whatever hope is found will be dashed at some other point. Chuck Colson, who was the special assistant to the uh, uh, President uh, Nixon, told us this. Where is the hope? I meet millions of people that tell me they feel demoralized by the decay around us. So he says, where's the hope? The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country, and that's where our hope is in life. Stop thinking that Washington is your hope, or Springfield is your hope, or the Republicans or Democrats are your hope. The only hope that we have is in the power of God. Number two, notice that hope was... Uh, pursued, not because of political over the spiritual, but we see in Judas that he chose treasure over the truth. Judas could have had hope. I mean, my goodness, Judas, of all people, was one of the twelve. He could have had hope. He walked and talked with Jesus. He interacted with Jesus. He saw Jesus in public. He saw Jesus in private. He had every opportunity to see the hand of God on Jesus' life. But Judas was always focused in on something else, always looking another place. You see, Judas found himself focused in on money. And we learn in the Easter story that Judas would sell or betray Jesus, his friend, for 30 pieces of silver. Some of us today find ourselves in Judas' shoes. We have put our faith and our hope in the possessions of the world, in our bank account, and in our money. We say, hey, I feel good about tomorrow because there's money in the bank account. I feel good about tomorrow because my stock options are rising. I feel good about tomorrow because my house is appreciating in value. 
But what Judas would learn very quickly, because we are told that just in a matter of hours, Judas would go and hang himself because he would be filled with despair. Those 30 pieces of silver would do nothing for his soul. And likewise, some of us are learning. We put our hope in our money and our finances. And it's letting us down. That's why Jesus said the following in Luke 12, 15. Protect yourself against all greed. Because life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot of it. Don't place your hope in political things. Don't put your hope in possessions. Finally, we see the disciples could have had hope, but they chose fear instead of faith. Now, these guys didn't betray Jesus for money. They weren't looking for a political leader, nor were they some fair-weather fan. They believed Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, they had told Jesus that they were willing to die with Jesus if that's what it came to. But that all changed when the guards came to capture Jesus, when he came to arrest Jesus. You see, they all ran. Instead of putting their hope in the words that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be captured, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be buried, but on the third day I'm going to rise again, they ran for their lives. And they chose fear instead of faith. And they collapsed amidst the dire circumstances of their lives. Instead of trusting the words of Jesus, they chose fear. And some of us this morning find ourselves there. Instead of choosing the words of Jesus and living by faith, we are gripped by fear. I want you to recognize this morning that wherever you find your hope, wherever you're placing your hope this morning, none of it is going to reign supreme or rest secured unless you find your hope, and this is my final point and we'll close with this, is centered on the resurrection. Is centered on the resurrection. You would seem, it would seem that when all hope was lost when Jesus went to the cross, that all hope was taken when He entered the tomb, that He laid in the grave, those moments were hopes that had been dashed. Dreams had been lost. Life had been shattered to pieces. On that Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, there were no hosannas, there were no hallelujahs, only an agonizing void of the unknown. Questions being asked, what now? Some of you right now find yourself in circumstances asking, what now? What am I to do? Where am I to go? Will the sickness be cured? Will my marriage last? Will I ever love again? Will I make it through this? Will my child uh, find uh, a bright light at the end of this trial? And you come this morning and you hear the message of Easter. Randy Alcorn says the good news of Easter is hope. He says the good news surrounding Easter infuses hope and joy. And the reason why is because our current circumstances our current circumstances are nothing in comparison to God's greatness over every crisis that we face. That's the hope that Easter brings. God, you're greater. God, you are stronger. God, you're more powerful than anything that comes my way. Now that brings us to 1 Corinthians 15. And I warn you, I won't be here very long at all. But I want you to recognize a couple things about the resurrection. The resurrection, first of all, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, answers our problem. Notice G, uh, Paul says of Jesus that Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. The Apostle Paul says the reason why you and I lack hope is because we've offended a holy God. How have we done that? 
God has called us to live according to Him. God has called us to order our lives according to His Word. And instead of doing that, we've chosen to go our own way. And because of that, we find ourselves in dead ends. We find ourselves in booby traps of our own making. We find ourselves in all kinds of peril because instead of trusting God in His ways, we've turned to our own ways. And the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross and Jesus died our death so that we might have hope. And the resurrection answers our biggest problem, death and sin. And by Him being resurrected from the grave, we have hope now that God, just as He raised His Son from the dead, will raise us one day from the dead. And will give us hope and a future. A hope that lives life with God, not apart from God. Notice number two, Paul goes on in verses three and four, and he tells us that all of this was done in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, the resurrection not only answers our problem, it affirms the prophecies or predictions. The Bible tells us over and over again in the Old Testament that there was one coming. They didn't know his name. They didn't know what he was going to look like. But 61 different times, the Old Testament prophesies or predicts of the one who is coming. And each of those 61 prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. How he would die. When he would die. What type of death he would die. What would happen around his death. What the people surrounding him might do. The way that he would be uh, beaten. The way that they would take a spear and put it into his body. The idea that none of his bones would be broken. That he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. And each of those, and I could go on and on, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know of those 61 prophecies, 25 of them are fulfilled between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And I wondered, what's the probability of that taking place? And mathematicians have done some research and put it together that for one person to have those 25 specific prophecies be fulfilled hundreds of years after they had been prophesied would be uh, 1 in 10 to the 21st power. 1 in 10 to the 21st power. Now, I barely made it through algebra, so I have no idea what that means. I'm lost. And so I did some study on what does 1 in 10 to the 21st power mean. And I found this illustration from a Yale mathematician. He said the following, For that to be illustrated, you would need to blanket the entire land mass of earth with silver dollars 120 feet high. Then you would need to specifically mark with a marker one of those silver dollars with an X and randomly bury it. Third, you would need to ask a person to travel the entirety of the earth and select that singular x marked dollar while being blindfolded from the trillions of silver dollars that were laid out. I want you to know this morning that skeptic upon skeptic has argued of the veracity or validity that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Nobody questions that He died. Nobody questions that He lived. And many will question, though, did He rise from the grave? And I want you to know that it is affirmed by the prophecies. Jesus is the risen One. And you can put your hope and faith in Him. Finally, or two more very quickly. It addresses all kinds of people. Verses 5-8. through eight. It goes on and he says, Now he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500. This is after he rose from the grave. He appeared to 500 people at one time, 
Most who are still alive at the time of this writing, even though some have died. He appeared to James and to all the apostles. And then he appeared to me, the apostle Paul says. And I want you to know something. These people saw the risen Lord. And they write very honestly that we didn't believe at first. But now we do because Jesus showed himself to us. And these people would go to great lengths to dedicate their lives to proclaim the message that Jesus isn't in a grave, but he, he is risen from the grave. Now here's the thing. You may say, well, that's the greatest lie propagated on human society. I want you to know that most of the disciples would lose their lives in torturous deaths all the while to their very dying breath saying that Jesus is the risen one. Listen, you don't lose your life over a lie, but you would if you've seen the risen Lord and Savior. And we need to understand that it addressed not only 500 at one time, but now think 2,000 years later, millions upon millions upon hundreds of millions of people now are worshiping and praising the name of this risen God who's changed our lives. And I want you to know, this God, this Savior, has changed mine. And He's changed the life of many people who find themselves here today. Thus, the resurrection is available to all. Because he paid the price. Paul says, listen, I persecuted the church. I did all kinds of evil things against the church before I met Jesus. But by his grace, verse 10, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Grace literally means unmerited favor. God has shown his love and his mercy by being willing to save you and I, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we are. God says if we will come to him by faith, if we'll put our faith and hope and trust in him, he will no wise cast us out. The Bible says to all who believe on Him and trust in His name, to them He gives the right to become children of God. But you've got to believe. But you've got to hope. You've got to use faith. One final quote from Basil Hume says this, The great gift of Easter is hope. Christian hope which makes us have the confidence in God in His ultimate triumph and in His goodness and love which nothing can shake. I am here to tell you this morning that if you find yourself hopeless, if you find yourself without a sense of optimism of the future, then you have seemingly put your faith and trust in the wrong things. And I am here to tell you, today is the day you can find hope in Christ Jesus. And if you've never done that, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then I would say stay afterwards, talk to myself, talk to the people at the Welcome Center, talk to the person who brought you, the person sitting next to you, and say, where have you found hope in Jesus? Will you show me the way? Jesus said He came in this world to give us life and all abundance. And it begins by trusting and believing and hoping that He's the risen one. I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you for dedicating some time on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the death and burial and, yes, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this time. And I thank you for what this day represents. I thank you that it rep represents new beginnings for us. I thank you that it represents not a dead end, but a bright and hopeful future. Lord, the Apostle Peter reminds us that we have been brought into a new and living hope because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Lord, if you had not been raised, we would have nothing to celebrate. 
we would have nothing to be excited about. We would have nothing to be hopeful for. But because you have, and because you are the living King of kings and Lord of lords, we celebrate and we proclaim and we announce to a lost and hopeless world, there is hope and His name is Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray that hope would be instilled upon each and every person here. And that as a result of the hope that we have, we might now live differently for Your namesake and for Your glory. I know, Lord, that many are going now to places uh, with family and friends, and I pray that we'll share this hope and the joy of this hope with all we come in contact with. Thank you for what you've done in our midst. Thank you for what you did in the life of your disciples. Thank you, Lord, for what you did through the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that it brings. Now send us forth, Lord, full of hope and full of joy, because you are not dead, but you are risen just as you said you would. To you be all the glory, honor, and praise in the church. We love you and give you the glory for it in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.